before the break, we'll review the message of this section, which is of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 20 through uh, 26, but really the overall message that goes from verse 12 through 26 that says that unity and diversity are essential in the body of Christ, that is the church of Christ. So we review the responsibilities that go with that message. The first one is that you should recognize uh, the unity and diversity in the church of Christ. The second is that you should focus on facts stated about members of the church of Christ. There were five of them. We mentioned them briefly. The first one, that a church consists of several members. The second, that believers cannot be uh, separated, or a believer cannot be separated from the church of Christ. The third is that each member in a local uh, church is really necessary for the functioning of that local church or even the universal church of, of God. The fourth, that it is God who places each uh, member of the church in the church in, uh, to function the way he wants. The fifth, that there will be no church of Christ as we know it today if it consists of only one member. So, we began with a third responsibility, which is you should be careful how you treat members of the body of Christ. And we began to look at the reasons for doing that. The first reason is because of the importance of unity and diversity in the church of Christ. The second, that each member depends on the other. The third, that even those considered weak are indispensable or are necessary members of the body of Christ. So we began our study this morning with the thought, which is there are certain members of the body of Christ that require special attention. Now the special attention that should be given to the uh, certain members of the church of Christ is involves showing respect to them. And so we base this on what the apostle uh, says in verse 23 that say, reads, the parts that we think are less honorable. So we ask what were these parts. Eventually we uh, consider that to be the private parts or the genitalia. Now so we considered the, uh, the clause of verse 23 where it says, and parts that are uh, presentable are Treated, I mean, unpresentable is treated with special modesty. And so we interpreted the unpresentable pass again as a reference to the, the genitalia. Furthermore, we indicated that depending on the culture, that that may include not just the genitalia, but the woman's breast as well. Thus, the genitalia and the woman's breast are parts of the body that are, should be properly covered. Now, we say that since the fall, that's when that started. Once man got conscious of sin, that's when it became necessary to cover up the parts of the body that uh, should not be exposed to other people to see. And we 
go back to the fact that this covering, the whole thing started with the fall. This is when I cited Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, and that is where we pick up our study this second half. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 reads, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, the response of Adam and Eve to their nakedness is in a sense the general response of humans all over the world regarding their genitalia. All over the world. Now, even in the primitive times when people had very little clothing, they made sure that their genitalia were covered up in some way. Now, every, even in, in our world today, though, when many people have lost the sense of shame, people are still careful to cover up their genitalia, implying that it is proper to treat with respect the genitalia. Of course, the focus when it comes to showing respect to the unpresentable parts of the body is, as we have indicated, the genitalia based for women, in particular, unpresentable parts, as we have also stated, include their breasts, at least in the modern times. Now, it is probably that God wants us to cover up parts of the body that are unpresentable. That was one of the reasons he provided full clothing for Adam and Eve after they had made their own effort, most just to cover their genitalia. The Lord said, no, I give you something more. According to Genesis 3, look at verse 21. Verse 21 reads, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. They were only concerned with the genitalia. The Lord said, no, I'll cover you up the way you ought to be covered up. So we should emphasize him that it is because of sin, it's because of sin that we need to cover up. It's because of sin. We need to cover up certain parts of the body that could cause problems for other people. Now that's one of those things that a lady, for example, you have to think when you're putting up yourself, you have to say, am I dressing in a way that's going to cause some problem for somebody else? You should be careful of that as a believing lady. You don't want to offend anyone by the way you dress. So you should think about that. That's part of being a spiritually minded believing lady. Anyway, the point is that you, you know that those parts of the body that could cause problems for others should be covered up. Now if there has if there was no sin, we could walk around naked. And there will be no problem. There will be no sin. For after all, like I said, the first two parents, or first two humans on this planet, as we have previously said, they walked about without, I mean, they walked about naked without being ashamed. According to Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. 
Genesis chapter 2 verse 25. It reads, The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. There was no sin. There was no sin. After sin, shame comes in. So it is after this fall then into sin that they became ashamed of being naked. So anyhow, the apostle conveyed that the unpresentable or the insignificant part of the body has shown greater respect so that they are covered up. Now the apostle then contrasts the action people uh, take where a different kind of body part is concerned. Now we know that he was concerned with different uh, actions of people regarding the nature of the body parts because of the word while that begins verse 24. 1 Corinthians 12, 24, the word while. Now that word while that you find in the NIV of 1984 is translated from a Greek word that may be used to connect one clause to another either to express a contract or simple continuation, but in certain occurrences, the marker may be left untranslated. Now, although it is often translated birth in the English, when there is a perceived contrast between two clauses, but it has other meanings, such as now or then, in, in order to link segments of a, uh, a narrative. It can be used to indicate transition to something new or to resume a discourse after an interruption. Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians 12 verse 24, it is used to express contrast between the immediate clause of verse 24 and the one preceding it in verse 23. And so maybe translated birth as is done in many of our English versions. Now the contrast the apostle was concerned about here is really lack of action on the part of people where different body parts than the ones mentioned in verse 23 are concerned. Now thus the apostle writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 24 then, while our presentable parts need no special treatment, now, you know, a literal translation from the Greek really reads this way. But our attractive have no need. That's what I say. But our attractive have no need. Now, this is because the expression uh, presentable parts of the NIV is translated from a Greek word that pertains to being considered especially worthy of public admiration. Thus, it may mean prominent, as it is used to describe Greek women in the rear who responded positively to the gospel message of Apostle Paul, as stated in Acts chapter 17, verse 12. And hold on to that Acts. Chapter 
Acts chapter 17, verse 12, where a Greek word is translated, uh, the Greek word translated presentable, passage translated prominent. It is, many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent, that's a Greek word, prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Now, the now can also mean high standing, high standing, as it is used to describe the women that were among those that the Jews uh, stirred up to persecute the apostle, I mean apostles uh, Paul and Barnabas during their uh, first missionary work in Pisidian Antioch in Acts, as we read in Acts chapter 13, verse 50. Acts chapter 13, verse 50. It is, but the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing, high standing, and the leading men of the city, they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. And so the word may also pertain to being appropriate for display, hence means proper, presentable. Now, in our passage, though, of First uh, Corinthians twelve twenty-four, it is used in the sense of presentable part, that is something suitable or acceptable for public display. Now, the presentable parts are simply described as having no need, no need. That's all. It seems the sentence of the analogy when it says uh, presentable parts need no special treatment. May literally, this is the way we read from the Greek. Our attractive, our attractive have no need. That's the way you just say. Our attractive have no need. Now, this is because the Greek has a verb and a noun together. That's what to say. So the verb, as in the literal translation, is really have. is translated from a Greek verb that may mean to have in the sense of to possess or to own something. As Apostle Paul used it to describe persons with knowledge in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. First Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 1. He said, It is now about full sacrifice to idols. We know that we all possess. That's a, a Greek word, echo, echo. Possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now, the word may mean to have on or to wear. Of clothes, as it is used in the Lord's parable of the wedding banquet to describe a person who came in 
without wearing the wedding uh, dress as we read in Matthew chapter 22 verse 12. Matthew Matthew chapter 22 verse 12 He reads Friend he asked, how do you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Now, here without wedding clothes really means without putting on, without wearing on the wedding clothes. Now, the word may mean to need, as it is used by our Lord in response to Peter's uh, requesting him not only to wash his uh, Feet, but his entire body, according to John chapter 13, verse 10. John chapter 13, verse 10. John chapter 13 verse 10 reads, Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean. Though not every one of you. Now the Greek word may also mean to enjoy, to enjoy as it is used to describe the state of the church in Jerusalem after the conversion of the Apostle Paul in First Corinthians, I mean, in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Acts chapter 9 verse 31. It is, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. Now that's the Greek word that means have, but here it's translated, enjoyed. It, it was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in fear of the Lord. Now, in our passage of 1 Corinthians 12, 24, then, it means to have in the sense of to possess, to possess. Now, the thing, the presentable parts, do not have is given in the uh, literal uh, translation with the noun need, although the NIV rendered the Greek as a verb. In the verbal phrase, need no spiritual treatment. But we, we've already seen it just means have no, have no need. Now, the, that aside, though, the word need is really translated from a Greek word or a noun now, that we have uh, previously considered, but we need to review briefly here. 
and that has, it has a, a, a range of meaning. For example, the worker may need in the sense of duty or office or service, as it is used for the service to be rendered by the seven men appointed to administer the mundane affairs of the early church as described in Acts chapter 6 verse 33. Sorry, Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Acts chapter 6, verse 3. It reads, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom we will turn this responsibility over to them now here the translators of the NIV rendered our Greek word career with the meaning responsibility responsibility now the Greek noun can also mean need as in the sense of that which is lacking in a material way as the word is used in the promise stated in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. It is And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Here the word clearly translated need. Now the word may mean necessities as it is used to describe the daily needs of believers that are to be provided as part of doing what is good. In Titus chapter 3 verse 14. Titus chapter 3 verse 14. Titus chapter 3 verse 14. It reads, Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities. That's a Greek word here. It's translated necessities. And not live unproductive lives. In our passage of 1 Corinthians 12.24, the word is used in the sense of need, that is anything that is necessary but lacking. Anything that's necessary but lacking. So the need, the presentable part of the body does not have, is not really explicitly stated. But the context suggests that it is the need to be uh, shown 
special or greater respect that is meant. It is for this reason that the translators of the NIV interpreted the need as being that of special treatment. The apostle did not specify the presentable parts of the body that need no special uh, attention per se, that that will certainly include the visible parts of the body. For example, we do not pay special attention to, say, our hands and cover them up. Because if you did, you can function. Likewise, for the most part, for the most part, we do not cover our faces or heads. We don't do that. Now, it is true that women pay attention to their faces by applying makeup, but that is simply because of human vanity. Now, there's nothing wrong with a woman's face, the way it comes from God, but because of, uh, human, uh, because of vanity in us humans, uh, many think it is necessary for a woman to put up, uh, make up her face. When you think about it, why do women have to go through the trouble of trying to falsify how they look were a nut for human vanity. So, my point is not that a woman should not put on makeup, but that it is not necessary. So that we can say that for the most part, the part of our body that is presentable and visible need not be covered up. As for example, you know, the parts of the body that are unpresentable. Now again, what I'm saying is, here is saying that we, we have to admit, if we're going to be honest to ourselves and to the scripture, that we live in a world that we're carried away by the vanity of the world. And I'm just saying, I'm, the way God created you as a woman, whatever face he gave you, that just, that's great from him. Don't need to do anything to it. I'm not saying people don't do what they want to do, but all it is is you are actually testifying that yes, we live in a world of vanity. Because it doesn't really matter whatever God gave you, that face, the way he gave it to you, that's beautiful. Somebody doesn't like it, no problem. I know you won't do that, but I'm not saying most of you won't do that anyway. But the truth of the matter is, you don't need to do that. You don't need to cover anything. You just give away the way God gave it to you. Now, having said that, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just telling you, when you do it, you are agreeing to the fact we're living in a world of vanity. All I'm saying. Anyway, be that as it may, the apostle described the special respect given to the unpresentable parts of the body, as well as the fact that the presentable parts of the body do not have need of being given special respect because of their nature. However, since the apostle is using body parts in analogy to convey spiritual truths to the Corinthians, it is important to understand what the Holy Spirit intended to convey 
through the apostle, in this case, to the Corinthians. In order, so we can also apply to all believers as well. And that is what we are interested to see. What is he trying to convey in this particular passage? Now, in the immediate context of 1 Corinthians 12, the apostle intended to convey that the Corinthians and so all believers should show respect to the spiritual gifts of others that are not as evident as other visible gifts. And the gifts of speaking in tongues or healing as the calculate to behold, so that there should not be undue focus given to it on such gifts, and so to the point that other gifts that are not so spectacular are ignored or not even respected by believers. You take, for example, the gift of administration that is referenced in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. It reads, And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Now those given the gift of administration often exercise their gifts in a local church in such a way that it may not be noticed by many in the local church. Now I'll give you an example with this local church. There are men who are in the Deacon Board and I believe they have the gift of administration one way or the other. There are some of them, they are doing things you have no clue. But you just come in here and you see things seem to be working well. But these men are working tirelessly. But you don't know about it. You don't realize that. Now I can say that because I know what they are doing. But most people don't know how things run around here in terms of physical things and so on. There are, you know, Individuals who are relentless in doing everything to ensure that everything is functioning properly in this building. But how many people know about that? Not many people know that. So their gifts are not spectacular. But they are necessary for the smooth operation of the body of Christ. Now if this gift is lacking in a local church then there will be chaos in the administration of the affair of the church. However, we have stated 
Not many people pay attention or recognize the gift of such men that exercise that gift to serve a local church. The point of the apostle is that we should respect such individuals who serve the local church in a capacity that requires the exercise of the gift of administration. They are included in those the apostle stated should be respected as we read in a passage that we cited previously, that is 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 17. First Timothy First Timothy chapter five verse seventeen. Again it reads The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. Especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. And I just takes you two groups here. Those who do the administration and those who actually feed the congregation. Both require honor from the congregation. Now it is true that the apostle emphasized the teaching elders as those who should receive double honor. But he also indicates that those who direct the affairs of the church well should be honored. Now those who direct the affairs of the church include those individuals who have the gift of administration and so should be honored. Now, it is my personal belief. You can doubt me, that's your business, but that's my own personal belief. That when it's time to fill the, any position of a deacon, that whoever God directs me has the gift of administration one way or the other. That's my belief. You can dispute it if you want to, but it doesn't change anything. But that's my own belief. So that anyone who is in that board, in my judgment, in my understanding, has the gift of administration. Now, nonetheless, those who teach and those who administer the church of, of uh, affairs of the church are the two group, major groups that really are to be respected by members of the local church. This is also conveyed in the apostles' instruction to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 13 reads, Now, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard. In love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Now the, the two groups of leaders in the local church are described as those 
uh, described here as who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. So the gift of teaching or the gift of uh, teaching leaders is not difficult to recognize and respect. But the gift of administration that is necessary to rule over a congregation may not be easily recognized. Thus, the point of the apostle in the passage of 1 Corinthians 12 that we're standing is that we should respect those with the gift of administration, for example. Since there are other spiritual gifts that are not uh, visible to us as those that uh, as it is with them, those who exercise them. Now we have chosen the gift of administration to illustrate the apostles' point, but we should recognize that there are other spiritual gifts that are not readily visible, such as generosity, serving others, and showing mercy to others as part of the gifts the apostle described in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. It is Romans chapter 12, verses 3, 6 to 8, reads, We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. Now, when serving, this is part of it, serving. There are people with gifts of serving, even in this local church. And I, you know, where I give, I use what I keep using because that's the closest thing I can use in this church. It's cleaning this place. There are people who have the gift of serving. When they do it, it, it will show because they have this spirit where they love doing what they're doing. They're serving. That's a gift. If you have it, it will show. So he says, if it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. Now here, of course, is one of those. You may have the gift of generosity. No one knows unless those who benefit from it. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. You may be one of those with that gift. And you're always merciful to people. Say, do it cheerfully. Anyway, because we are required to show respect to those with spiritual gifts that are not readily visible, one may, may wonder how the individual then could do such a thing since the gifts are not visible. Because he's concerned about showing respect to every, even those that are not visible. So how are you going to do that? Since you don't know what the person's gift is, so how are you going to do that? 
Now, I'm a firm believer that perhaps will never leave us hanging. There's always something. You just know, look at the Bible and you find the answer. Well, the way to do this simply to respect every believer in the local church. That's where you do that. Respect every person in the local church of Christ. If you respect every believer, then you will indirectly respect their spiritual gift, whether you know it or not. Now, by the way though, when you respect every believer in the local church, you are also obeying the instruction of the Holy Spirit given through Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. First Peter First Peter Chapter two verse seventeen. It is show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God, honor the king. So, we have so far then applied the apostles analogy of respecting the insignificant or unpresentable parts of the body to respecting those with spiritual gifts that are not visible or not easily recognized, but there is more to the application of the apostles' analogy in the context of this first epistle to the Corinthians. Now you recall that the fourth reason you should be careful how you treat members of the body of Christ is that there are certain members of the body of Christ that require special attention. Now, this is those things I keep reminding you. Believers are allowing the world to dictate what goes on. We think that if we give special attention to any group of people, any people, that that's simple. It is what is actually biblical. But that's not what the science says. So you have to, these are things where you have to decide, am I going to live by the Bible or do I go with the, the crowd? Now, it says here, here's the thing. The context of this epistle indicates though that there are at least two groups in a local church that should be given greater attention. There are two groups in a local church that we should be what we give more attention to. Now before I mention this, uh, this the two groups let me state though that uh, Again, there's nothing wrong with giving special attention to individuals based on their circumstances in life. Nothing wrong with that. Now, parents do such things instinctively. They do that. Take, for example, if parents have a child that has some kind of handicap, then they pay more attention to that child than the other children that have no perceivable 
handicap. Now, this concept of paying attention to the one that is disadvantaged more than one with advantage is implied in the parable of the Lordship that our Lord gave in Luke chapter 15 and particularly looking at verse 4. Luke Luke chapter 15 verse 4 Luke chapter 15 verse 4 reads Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now, it is true that the parable is concerned with God's concern for the lost. But it reveals that it is necessary to focus attention to the disadvantage in such a way that it may appear that those who are advantaged are neglected, although they are not because they are not disadvantaged. Now, my point, though, is that there is nothing wrong with focusing on the disadvantage, so that it could be said that special attention has been given to such an individual. So, in any case, the first group of believers in a local church that require special attention are those who are socially and economically disadvantaged. That's the first group. Those who are socially and economically disadvantaged. Now the apostle had already addressed the socially disadvantaged in the sense of being in slavery with the specific encouragement given to them Regarding their spiritual status, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 21 and 22. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll study this in detail, but we'll go through, just read through First 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verses 21 through 22. It is, Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the lost freed man. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. So the apostle, the apostle's address here though, to uh, slaves in this passage, is not only for their benefit, but also for the benefit of the local church, so that they should not look down on their fellow believers because of of the individual's social standing in the world, since in Christ, A person's social standing is not 
important in Christ. Now, we're not talking about the world. The world does what they want to do. But we're talking about those who believe, who claim to be Christians. That's who we're dealing with. The world can do what they want to do because we know who, where they are and where they're heading. But those who believe, who claim to be Christians, who we know should be heading this up into heaven, then these are the ones we're dealing with, not the rest. That's why we say, in Christ, uh, the person's social standing is not important. Does then, there will be nothing wrong with paying special attention to a slave in a local church because of the person's plight. In other words, there will be nothing wrong if the free believers in the local church focus their attention on such an individual because they want to encourage such a person to remain faithful to the Lord despite his social status. Now the economically disadvantaged group in a local church that the apostle mentioned indirectly actually consists of widows. That's the second. Widows. He mentioned it indirectly. Now the apostle mentions such individuals as he discussed marriage but there is the implication that special attention should be given to them as we also learn from the instruction of the Holy Spirit that he gave through the apostle to Timothy about widows. He was the pastor of that church at that point. And so in Ephesus he given instruction by the Holy Spirit as pay attention to widows, so to say. The Holy Spirit implies though that special attention is to be given to widows. That is the reason the apostle instructed Timothy regarding the treatment of such individuals as we learn from the fifth chapter of First Timothy. But specifically, First Timothy chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. First Timothy First Timothy chapter five verses nine through ten. This concerns the qualifications of what can be described as widows. Say so no widow may be put in the list of widows unless she is over sixty. Now yeah, it's one of those things is at that time a woman who is sixty years old is considered pretty old now. I mean pretty old at that time. And that means she probably Never going to get married again. She's too old to get married. That's more or less what it is. In uh, contrast to the younger ones, and say so don't don't consider them widows because they can marry and all that. Anyway, so here it says she is over sixty. 
Now here's the thing. Has been faithful to her husband. And is well known for her good days. And now interesting. Look at the, some of those good days. Such as bringing up children. And today you really wonder how many parents actually do that. Bringing up children. Showing hospitality. Washing the feet of the saints. Helping those in trouble. And devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. So the point here is that the apostle indicates then that special attention is to be given to widows in the local church. The implication is that it is required of a local church to give special or greater attention to widows. Now this requirement demonstrates then the fourth reason which you should be careful how you treat members of the body of Christ. This special attention. I know that today in place in the United States, some of the because of the way things are set up here, it's almost difficult for many churches to do that. In many other in many ways, for one thing, people have this social security thing that uh, when you're old you you get. But there are widows in many parts of the world today among Christians. They don't have they don't have that. In fact, not even even old, they just because they are Christians and they are they are widowed, they become people everyone wants to avoid them. Now, if we ever know of such believers, these are the ones we should pay special attention to. Anyway, the second group that requires special attention in the local church that the apostle had already referenced so far in this first epistle to the Corinthians consists of believers described as the weak, the weak, the weak. Now, Previously, the apostle had indicated that believers should pay attention to the weak, as we find, for example, in his instruction in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. First Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It is, be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling, a stumbling block to the weak. That's the second group. Now, a weak believer is not one who is physically weak, but spiritually immature. Spiritually immature. Now, such believers know little doctrine of the Christian faith. And so, they do not know that certain things are sinful or that some things society may think are wrong may not necessarily be so. 
Now one of the advantages, and I keep encouraging some of you who have not been here since the, uh, at least since I've been here, that you can learn just as much that you have missed online. And I know some of you who came in at a later time, some of you are making, have almost, in some cases I know some individuals, they've almost caught up with what I thought before they got here. Now, if you only you do is, so, you know, it goes back to what I say. People do the minimum. As Christians, if all you do is just come here, and you listen to me, and you go home, if that's all you do, you're doing the minimum. And you're not being excited as a Christian. There are tons, I mean, thousands of hours that you can go and learn from. And some of the questions that you may have, they're already answered. But you don't want to, you want to minimal that you can do, which is just come here Wednesday and Sunday. That's the minimum. You have other things. I guess sometimes they would have things they think are more important. But believe you me, when you are staring dead at, at you know, when you're staring at, uh, dead at, at your face, you realize none of these things you think are important, they're important anymore. What's not important is I am going to stand before my Savior. What am I going down with? That's the only thing that's important. I know when I say some of this, it goes over some of your head. Yeah. But believe you me, a time is coming when you and I will stand before our Savior. We'll be evaluated to see how much we accomplished through His provisions on this planet. Now, if you think you're disadvantaged now, hmm, think about what it will be all eternity to be what I call just marginal Christian. Not all of you in heaven. That's it. And all of us who have who invested time to serve the Lord, to learn about Him, will be decorated in heaven. And you, nothing. If that's what you want to be, suit yourself. Anyway, so the thing is, here's the thing, that it is necessary to understand that a weak believer is one who lacks doctrine and does, and does not know that certain things are sinful because they're ignorant. So believers in a local church should then pay special attention to such individuals to help them in their spiritual life. Now mature believers should not look down on such individuals. They should do everything to help them in their spiritual life. So in any event, the fourth reason you should be careful how you treat members of the body of Christ is that there are certain members of the body of Christ that require special attention. So this brings us to the fifth reason. And that's what we'll pick up next week. Let's pray. As we end our study this morning, there may be someone here or someone listening over the internet. 
you have in religious, but you're not a believer. You are not regenerated yet. Yes, yes, you're such a nice person, as I will tell you. But you are dead spiritually. Because you have not been made alive yet. Now, how does the person get made alive? He goes back to God's offer. His love for you is a starting point. He loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come to this planet to die for your sins. He came, lowered himself because he wants to elevate you. He humbled himself. He suffered because he wants to identify with you as his brother or sister. So when he came, he endured the abuse of people. When he had the power to not only kill, to vaporize all those who oppose him. He didn't do that. He was moved by his love for you. Can you imagine you trying to help somebody and they don't want to be helped? You throw your hands up. He didn't do that. He wanted to save us and we rejected him. He could have said, well, to hell with you, all of you. He didn't do that. He said, instead, he endured it. He endured the ridicule. And so when they came to arrest him, he asked a question, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. And they hid that ground. Because God spoke. So if he didn't want to be arrested, he kept telling that. And he could have returned to heaven. But then, if he did, you and I would be in hell today. So, he came with that love. And he did everything. So that finally, after they have finished all torture, during which he never complained, he never cried, and they took him, laid him on that cross on Golgotha, drove those nails through him, as painful as they were, he didn't make a sound. But the last three hours on that cross, when my sins and your sins were being charged on the Son of God, it was so unbearable. That he let out that cry. Eli. Eli. My God. My God. Why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken that you may be brought in. He was forsaken that you may have life. How? The Bible tells you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll be saved. What are you going to believe? Again the Bible says. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Son of God. Believing in him. You have life through his name. If you believe, he came, died for you, rose again the third day, you will have the forgiveness of your sin completely. No matter how awful you have sinned, you will be wiped clean, and you will be suited to be in heaven with him forever. So trust in him, believe in him, and escape God's coming judgment. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will cause us to know that we should pay special attention to those 
who are disadvantaged, who are weak among your children. This is a request in Christ's name.